Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Were the dramatic 1980 UFO encounters in Rendlesham Forest, England, only the tip of a very large iceberg? What did we ourselves experience there in 2012? Are there really reptilian extraterrestrials? Hello and welcome to the 996th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno coming to you from WON AM and FM radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island on the Paranormal Radio app uh, from TalkStream Live on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben and that was Paul. And today we bring you a new guest on a very different take on an old interest of ours. Uh, to join us, you can give us a call from anywhere, 401-766-1240, or you can send a message to us via Facebook, because email is still... Uh, well, it's not down, but I can't access it here. Well, we, we can Very access annoying. it. Very We won't access it real time, but we will get back to you. Anyway, coming to us from the UK via Skype today is Philip Kinsella, who is both a clairvoyant medium and UFO investigator slash author having had many bizarre UFO and paranormal experiences throughout his life, along with his identical twin brother Ronald, he he began to research the phenomenon on a serious level after an alien abduction experience in 1989. Ronald and Philip Kinsella are the authors of ten books at present. The center of our discussion today is the new book Sky Crash, uh, authored by Philip and our old friend Brenda Butler. The book reopens the landmark Rendlesham Forest UFO case of 1980. Uh, Philip and Ronald also host their own radio show, Twin Souls, at the Paranormal UK Radio Network. His website, thekinsellatwins.com. And unfortunately, uh, Brenda Butler, uh, Philip's co-author, uh, was not able to be with us today, um, but she she was last on the show uh, April twenty seventh, twenty thirteen. Um, the show number is number two eighteen. Jeez, we've come a long way since then. Uh, that was back in uh, two thousand and thirteen. In the show archives at behindtheparanormal dot com. So, without further ado, Philip Kinsella, welcome to Behind the Paranormal. Thank you very much indeed, uh, Ben and Paul. I'm very honoured to be here. And um, yes, interesting, when you had Brenda Butler on, I have to say in 2013, that's when Kappelband Publishing actually released Sky Crash Throughout Time, which was a book that we had both co-authored uh, surrounding cases not just centred around the 1980 event, which everyone knows about in mm-hmm. Roswell's England, uh, or England's Roswell, as, as they call it, um, but also a, a strange experiences before and after, because everyone just assumes that, uh, you know, that the encounters that was that occurred there at Rendlesham in Suffolk was just the 1980 event, and that's far from the truth. So, yes, that that, um, that was amazing, quite incredible. Oh, yeah. Well, I guess, we're, well, speaking of Sky Crash, so much of what's in your book, Sky Crash, it really hit home with us uh, because we, we had some very odd experiences when we were there in, in 2012, and your co-author, Brenda... Uh, was with us at the time of of the of our our little sort of investigation of that. Um, in your four years of research, what have you found out uh, about ongoing phenomena in Rendlesham Forest? As as briefly as you can. Well, there is still uh, light phenomena, stones falling from a clear blue sky that are red hot. The appearances also of uh, the uh, helicopters, because we were hassled by them when we were subsequently doing our research in the forest at low level and at night. 
Um, so, yeah, the phenomena is still continuing, and this uh, begs the question as to whether or not certain areas or geographical locations around the world are kind of like hot spots for unusual activity. And that this is what I've been looking into um, beyond sky crash throughout time. And subsequently, Philip Mantle, British ufologist, has his own publishing company and decided to re-release the book um, uh, last year, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. Mm. So there's there's an interesting – you kind of made a caveat in our sort of pre-show discussion here because um, we, we wanted to really ask what a, what a clairvoyant like yourself – Happen, you know what happens at a place like Rendlesham with with those abilities? But you you clarified. You're like, well, I don't claim to be anything. So if mm. if you don't if you don't want to put a label on it, I, I understand. But you definitely experienced something. Yes, absolutely. And we are all what people call clairvoyant. I exactly. mean, the brain is li- literally a transmitter and receiver, uh, rather like your mobile phone, but on a far more biological and mental complex level. And when people call you clairvoyant, it's just translating information coming from another source and very much like the UFO phenomena, although we don't get a lot of information coming from that side, wherever they're coming from. Um, We did a psychic experiment um, on the 8th of June, 1998, which for me and was private proved one aspect that I could kind of like put in a little box with regards to the phenomena, that consciousness has some kind of connection with this is whether or not the phenomena is reading our minds or we are promoting this phenomena itself within a will or a willing from from our end so um, that was something where we summoned ufo and that was performed by a psychic experiment if people uh, want to understand that because we were desperate to try and see what was behind the phenomena and why this area was uh, you know so strange and whether or not we could summon something. And that's exactly what happened. And that case has been documented. And uh, Of course, the, the danger is that uh, with regards to any form of research, when, you, when you're looking into a certain area, whether it be Area 51 or, you know, uh, Skinwalker Ranch, which is protected, or uh, Suffolk in England or Paul Sinclair's brilliant research here in England in Bempton, you feel like you're crossing over some, onto someone else's territory and you have to be very careful because you uh, might put a few noses out, so to speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what, what kind of experiment did you do? Yes, well, it all came under the recommendation of the late Karen Carpenter through her song Calling Occupants. And when we had subsequently been doing our research at Rendlesham, under the recommendation of another wonderful uh, and good friend and author, UFO researcher, we decided to venture out there. And um, on one occasion, a week before we went to the forest on the 8th of June, 1998, um, myself, my identical twin brother, Ronald, and a good friend, Susan, sat in a circle and sent out an intention to whatever or whoever to state that we were going back there on the 8th of June, 1998, and we wanted them to appear to us. We would take no cameras. I'm not interested in people saying we need evidence because whatever evidence you bring to the table will be torn apart. Mm. It was to be a personal experience. So on the 8th of June, uh, a week after the experiment, the psychic experiment, we went into the forest and we went into the area where near Capel Green, uh, which is a big farmer's field, half of which was uh, crop and the other half dirt. And it was under the cloak of darkness. Yes, I'm sure you both have. And we used to set up a little camp on the edge of the, where the edge of that part of the forest was. And so we crawled into the the part of the farmer's field that was uh, dirt at that point. We sat down and we meditated. And this would have roughly been about um, around about 
47 at night. There was a full moon, the sky was clear, and we sat in a circle and meditated and, and came out of it. And then we saw something very strange. We saw this red light that appeared near the farmer's house. And we thought, first of all, that the farmer had seen us in his field from the other end and got in his car and was going to come across and to chase us off. So we started to move back towards the entrance of the forest. And then I stopped because I thought, well, a car's light is not red and there's only one of them. And as we watched this light coming forward, um, it then shot across diagonally and disappeared into the other part of the, the farmer's field that had crop in it. And we thought, wow, that was amazing. And that was roughly around, if memory serves me correct, around about seven minutes past ten. At quarter past ten exactly on the 8th of June 1998, and at the other end of the field where these very tall trees, there was a flash of light and there appeared a, a pyramidical object um, and then underneath a gap and a circular appendage. And it was huge, and the top part of it was uh, emanating light like gold and white, as though it was coming from an inner source from inside the triangle. And underneath the bank um, of uh, the bank beneath it, the other part of the object that was separated, by the light the brim of a witch's hat, there was a bank of blue lights. And the, the triangle started moving one way, and the bank of lights were moving the other. Uh, almost like clockwork and we viewed it in the binoculars and it was incredible it made no sound and then I started to run towards it and as I started to run towards it I was excited but fearful the other two I was shouting back asking them to tell me that it is a uh, triangular in nature that it has a gap in a circle appendage uh, 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 appendage and I wanted to confirm that what I was seeing was the same as what they were seeing and I remembered my jeans getting soaked as I ran through that part of the the, um, the field where the crop was and when I came nearer to it I remembered looking up at it and thinking my god this is amazing and then I tripped and as soon as I tripped it was gone it just disappeared and I fell to the ground took in a load of dirt in my mouth and then I cried and then I laughed because I thought no one will believe us mm. and this is something where, that I recorded, I reported the very next day to a well-known UFO magazine, spoke to an editor whose name I couldn't even pronounce, let alone spell, someone called Bream Forbes. He asked me, he didn't know who I was, to send all the information to him that he would send them to Peter Robbins. He didn't know that I knew Peter Robbins. And then it all, well, which we did, and then there was nothing. It's not a conspiracy, but a month later, or around about a month later, I think it was, if memory serves me correct, I phoned the magazine back up and said, look, you know, I, I spoke to a guy called Bream Forbes. No, we don't have anyone here of that name. So, if anyone's got that information, <coughs> please send it back to me. <laughs> well, Peter <laughs> often listens, so we'll see. Um, yeah, Peter is a good friend. And, um, yeah, and, and he, as far as, I, as, as far as I know... Um, he didn't get any of the information. So uh, it was all very strange. But it proved something to me. I wanted to see whether or not um, there was some kind of connection between the human psyche and whether or not this intelligence or this force, and I'll call it that, is able to pluck into our minds, read our minds, or, you know, is this something that is a generate, that's generated within the depths of the human mind that projects itself to you uh, as the way that it would want you to see it. Uh, some people have been unkind and told me that, you know, what you were seeing was the beams to the Orphanus Lighthouse rubbish. 
We were yeah, there absolutely. when the lighthouse... Yeah, you got it, you guys, because that is just ridiculous. Mm. If your American troops were chasing the beams to the Orphanus Lighthouse, then God help your country and ours. Indeed. They're fully trained military men. That's very true. Well, uh, your uh, approach is very similar to our own. We um, certainly consider... As I mentioned before, uh, we went on the air. When we lectured in uh, Woodbridge near Rendlesham Forest, we uh, yes. had a, uh, a large group of people, many of whom, you know, they kept us really there for hours talking about their own experiences, some of which were ultra-bizarre and have never been uh, published in, in any way. One, uh, one fellow, Ben, I'm sure you remember, was talking about a creature he saw crossing the road that was something right out of Lovecraft. You know, and uh, so it was um, quite the enlightening evening. And our impression, of course, was that it was, in our terms, a flap area. John Keel may call it a window area. Yes. Because things go back to Saxon times. You know, yes. and uh, you mentioned consciousness. We must have a mutual friend named Anthony Peake. Hmm. I must confess, Anthony Peake, I've not heard of Anthony Peake, I'm afraid. Forgive my impudence. We're going to see that you're introduced. He's going to be on our 1,000th show in a few weeks. But um, really absolutely amazing stuff. Now, uh, Brenda Butler, uh, your co-author and our our good friend, uh, lives in that area. Yes. And uh, talked about a very strange person named David Daniels. Oh, yes. Which you talk about in your book. Uh, could you mention that? Yes, well, um, this occurred uh, roughly and around about the time when Jenny Randall's British ufologist, Dot Street, one of Brenda's f- friends. Yeah, we know that and, too. Yeah, yeah. And they had, as you are well aware, just published Sky Crash, a cosmic conspiracy that came out from Neville Spearman in 1984. Um, and David Daniels suddenly turned up at the scene, which was this man who claimed that he was a reptilian. And although most people will raise their eyebrows, because when I had access to Brenda's research material, when we were putting uh, Sky Crash Throughout Time, the manuscript, together, I was stunned to discover that this particular fellow called David Daniels had actually proven to Brenda who he was and to, namely, other ufologists, not only to ufologists like Lieutenant Colonel Wendell Stevens, who David Daniels had accessed as Father Daniels in America, but also Jenny Randalls and also Lord Admiral Hill Norton here in London, where Brenda and David Daniels had a meeting with him, and also Ralph Noyes, who was part of the Ministry of Defence and went on to write a science fiction book, called, which I have, called A Secret Prophet. So this guy or this man was very strange, or alien as they would call it. And when I subsequently started to put the, the material to the book together, I interviewed um, some of the local witnesses. And let me tell you, when they are in front of you and they're looking you in the eye and they are telling you what they experienced that is a completely different story altogether it's all very well for people to sneer and and laugh and say oh i don't believe it but when you start to look if you read the book at the very strange high levels of strangeness that surrounded this guy and not only that but i am convinced 
that before I even met Brenda Butler, before I got involved with the uh, book Sky Crash Throughout Time, not to be mistaken through their first book, The Sky Crash, A Cosmic Conspiracy, that mm-hmm. we, my brother and myself and Susan, we think had met this guy at the forest when we did a sky crash long before I met Brenda, as I said, uh, using the Elias Joseph. And his characteristics and mannerisms were certainly very much the same as this so-called David Daniels. So, yes, he was otherworldly. In fact, with Ralph Noyes, when he went to go and uh, meet Ralph Noyes in London, David Daniels actually stood on one of the bridges to London that wasn't far from one of the central television studios, raised his arms in the air and um, presented these three circular UFOs in triangular formation, they were separate, to demonstrate his so-called power. This entity could read minds, and most people found him very bizarre and frightening. They didn't like being in his company. They didn't know what he was about or what he was after. Um, so, And he had no interest whatsoever in the initial 1980 event that happened with the American troops, with your, your troops uh, at Bentwaters. Um, during the 1980 over the Christmas uh, three night Christmas period so it it was very strange and people assumed that perhaps he was there to muddy the waters but no he didn't muddy the waters Brenda is an exceptionally very strong lady she's very much um, admired and she won't take she won't uh, you know take any nonsense Um, and I was very honoured to have been able to be shown um, not just her material but also some of the residue that uh, apparently uh, came off of the object, the molten object that Colonel Charles Holt had seen with his men um, on that on the night of 1980 during the Christmas period that had solidified into this strange material. So, you know, when you talk of David Daniels, Brenda is adamant, and I respect what she says, that he had no part to play within the initial unfolding of uh, Rendlesham case itself. But it seems very strange that his timing was perfect, and just subsequently after the release of their first book, um, and uh, because they did reprint it into paperback, uh, it was hardback, um, Sky Crash, A Cosmic Conspiracy. So very bizarre, and he disappeared. Uh, no one could uh, no, knew where he was, but I think that perhaps he had somehow appeared to us many years later and before I got involved with the case um, when we were doing a sky crash with a group from a local UFO um, network that I belonged to and every single person within that group, all they spoke about was Joseph and when I look at the material of David Daniels, the same was said with him. So who knows? Was it one of the same? There's no way of proving it. But a gut instinct tells me that is that is what I feel. Well, one of the uh, fascinating uh points that you, that you make philip is uh, the notion that we bring we we contribute to the experience ourselves and we have found that really from day 1 uh, yes. that uh, we don't sit there and simply experience things we bring whether it be preconceived notions or uh, our own energies or whatever you want to call it uh, mm-hmm. to these things we have um uh I think the nature of the experience is, is uh, determined by this to a great degree. Uh, when I, uh, much to my shock, encountered a Bigfoot-like creature on September 16, 2016 in Pennsylvania, uh, wow. it, it appeared to be the same. I was looking for something entirely different as uh, a little girl had uh, was was to encounter 
not long after that, um, in broad daylight, uh, in a dirt road below the same hill, and wow. I considered it a sacred experience. I felt privileged. But mm. she was utterly terrified, and to this day will not talk to us. She's, gosh, must be in college by now. Oh, no, no. Not that, I don't think she's probably, probably like, you know, elementary school, maybe, maybe, okay, well, maybe, maybe, maybe middle school at this point. I hope uh, someday she'll talk to us about it. <laughs> but, uh, nevertheless, uh, and, and there are many experiences, uh, we've recorded from witnesses who say that it, when it comes to UFOs, uh, some people in the, in one group would see it, other people would not see it. Uh, yes. Other people would see different things. Um, mm. I'm thinking particularly of the, the late uh, Linda Godfrey, our good friend, and a cryptozoological researcher and a journalist, uh, told us about uh, the uh, uh, site in uh, Iowa mm. where people would see an orb, as they're called, in a basement of a historic home. And when she went down and she saw this, other people would see a boy, uh, sometimes at the same time as someone else is seeing the orb. So, well, there's also the uh, the airships of the the Hudson River Valley as well. Mm. Yes, um, where you know it's late 1800s, you know early early 1900s, and you know everyone's looking up and they're like, oh, it's just some eccentric millionaire, you know, flying around yeah. in, in a zeppelin. <laughs> and well, it could well have been. It could have been, yeah. but it, it's it it was you know moving incredibly fast. Like yeah, it, yeah. No, nothing existed at that point in time. But it's it, or or you know as people. I remember. I think it was Linda Zimmerman who who did a talk uh, that yes. we, we we happened to be speaking alongside her, and I, I sat in, and she she was explaining that that whole event, and it was it was super interesting to listen to because it shows that you know we use the terms we can to kind of order our reality, in in a sense, right? You know, there's four ways that humans really do it through through language, art, music, and and ritual. And so we use these four tools to to order reality around us, to understand it, to create a story that we can understand. And mm, as, yes. as I say, we put labels on things that we can understand that do not necessarily reflect the deeper reality. What we have to understand, however, is that I think that when we are exploring the subject matter of not only ufology, but also cryptozoology and uh, other areas of the paranormal, um, you know, we as a species, uh, we don't know enough about ourselves and the enhancement of uh, consciousness or the mind and yes. our ability to create from that. Um, and I think that, you know, this this may open up new parallels. Um, I have finished an, an, a new book that's called Terrestrial Trespasses that's due out next year that explores some of these finer points in theoretical detail. But I think that, you know, this multi-complex phenomena, the light phenomena, is certainly an area that's very interesting. And I will explain that mediums, for instance, or I, I, I don't like the word because it's so Victorian. It reminds me of uh, women sitting around a table and wrapping underneath for the oh, dead. But so <laughs> much so. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tra translators, I think we are. As a translator, you see these small more light. Sometimes they're in different colors like uh, blues, yellows, gold, whatever. I couldn't tell you what they are. People say that they're spirit uh, manifestation. We don't know because it, it, the, phenomena, the phenomena doesn't tell us. Now, UFOs come on a much larger level of light phenomena and this light phenomena is known to manifest or open these portals. So our argument is basically where my argument entirely is where are these aliens? Where are the dogmen? Where are the Sasquatch? Where exactly are they? 
and because the amount that's been recorded and experienced not just um, within your great country uh, and I have to say that America is one of the leading places with UFO activity and uh, Sasquatch and uh, you know dogman sightings and the rest of it but where are they so I think this leads us then into the very carefully into hyperdimensional hypothesis, interdimensional hypothesis, whatever. Mm. Because, as I said previously to you gentlemen before, that we've had to move away from the stagnated views of ufology in terms of the physical nuts and bolts level of reality. And have we considered also that in certain cases with regards to this phenomena, that as it comes into our reality, it somehow combines itself with the material of this world in order to create shape. That's another area that I've been looking into. Um, and, you know, so I think that certainly with Rendlesham, and, and certainly it's not unique in terms of its uh, levels of high strangeness because there are other many, many other areas around the world, but, you know, this nest of activity seems to promote this. It reminds me of Stephen King's It. Mm. <laughs> when, when you know, it was all to do with this being from another world. I'm not saying that's what the phenomena is, but certainly I think Stephen King, brilliant writer, certainly tapped into something there and using an extension that that connects into people's worst fears that they see. I think the phenomena you're right, Paul and Ben, when it does come into play, when it does come into effect, let's say, for instance, UFO sighting at close range, and there is some kind of interaction, I believe that the force responsible is then uh, starting to integrate itself on a personal level of the human psyche and will get through to you this way. That's why some people will see in a group um, UFO encounter or alien abduction phenomena um, or even cryptid sightings that some will see something quite slightly different from someone else. Um, and this is interesting within the extreme. So, you know, with all this... Uh, paraphernalia of different aliens and beings you know my research has been to, to look and see where exactly are they and are they and why is it that there are so many of them and the system we serve is adamant not to give any clues away and i think perhaps in some respect that the reason that they're doing that is because there may be darker reasons behind it mm -hmm. um, literally yes uh, well, that, this is a good time for our <clears throat> mid-show break. You're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WON 1240 AM and FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone River Valley. We'll be right back with our great guest, Philip Kinsella. So stay with us. Experience Pictures at an Exhibition, a concert by the Rhode Island Wind Ensemble to benefit the glorious St. Anne Arts and Cultural Center. Sunday, May 21st at 3 p.m. at St. Anne's, 84 Cumberland Street, Woonsocket. Admission is $20 and all proceeds benefit the St. Anne Arts and Cultural Center. Tickets are available at Beeler's Flowers, Creative Impressions, The Honey Shop, Timeless Antiques, Vos True Value Hardware, or call 401-356-0713. We'll see you, you there. You can depend on us for public service, Owen Radio. Hello and welcome back to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno with our wonderful guest, Philip Kinsella. And we are talking about some very interesting things on whether it's phenomenologically or or anything in regards to the UFO phenomena and, and how one experiences it. And I, I want to kick this off, this last portion of our show off with um, there's, there's a concept I've really been kind of engaging with recently by a Canadian philosopher Charles Taylor. 
and he brings this really interesting idea of um, there, there's sort of two versions of the self that have kind of existed throughout human history. So the first one is the poorest self, which is considered like the pre-modern idea of how we view ourselves and how we, we interact with the world around us, which is essentially the porous self. So the porous self, there's sort of this very thin layer that delineates ourselves from the world around us. It kind of allows us to, to you know, where we begin and where the world begins, it's kind of like a blurry line. So you're mm. you're able to interact with the world around you, you know, whether it be in a mythical sense, political sense, etc. This idea of the self isn't like self-contained. It's sort of a part of everything else going on around you. Then there's sort of the modern version of the self known as the, the buffered self. Which is, you know, sort of the the the, the modern way the, we are, we see ourselves now. Which there's this 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 wall between ourselves and the world, mm. where we can step back and and analyze, you know, the the portions of reality and break it apart so we can we can figure it out ever, ever so slightly. And it, it, it's interesting because it brings us to this point that we we as a species. I don't want to say crave. It's not really the right word. It's something we we do by habit, habit, where we 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 create a mythology out of things, mm. where we we do we just we we can't help it as as much as we try with material reductionism, etc. We still create a mythology around things, especially in our our, our modern society nowadays. I, I have this sort of like pet theory that I've yet to really expand upon, that the paranormal, including ufology etc is sort of the mythology of the modern world where it's all these things that exist on the fringes but somehow uh, interact with us on a daily basis i mean everybody's mm. so into the idea of you know the pentagon releasing you know ufo reports even you know you know joe schmo down the street is like oh that's actually kind of interesting but it, it's it's one of those things where it's a part of our, our daily lives and so as as this idea of mythology right rather than being some goofy thing that's not really real but rather a, a a story that we're a part of, right? Mm. And we we crave to be a part of something bigger. So with the idea of ufology, in a sense, kind of needing to step away from that and see the bigger picture of the mythology yes. here, is yes. is this is this the direction we need to step into to understand the story? Certainly, we have to look into other areas of research. As I stated before, we have been stagnated for decades in this whole idea that they're coming from another planet. I'm not disputing that. But we have to understand that in our search for those answers, we have to look way beyond levels of ufology and uh, cryptozoology and the paranormal and other areas of the mind, consciousness. And what's interesting is that uh, with regards to belief, shaping belief, that, that becomes a reality. We were shaped as a reality. But unfortunately, a lot of our genesis has been hidden, um, submerged under a lot of, uh, you know, contradicting data. The official domain sciences that we evolved by accident and the religious interpretation is rather supernatural and whipped up in about six days and seventh day to rest. I'm not going to go down that road. I don't want to upset people. But the reality is far more interesting and fascinating. Mind consciousness is the builder. It creates. Everything around us has been created from the mind. And I think that the mind is omnipresent, uh, consciously, individually, and has the power to manifest um, certain, um, you know, realities, as it were. So people will say, no, I don't believe this. I'm not going to accept that because their idealism, their belief system, their structured belief system has been um, compromised. 
But I'm happy to say that I'm very open to all forms of speculation. Indeed, I think that as our human journey, which is very limited in this reality, um, comes to an end, I don't believe that is the end. I believe that there is a lot more to the continuation of this that goes beyond what we perceive as reality here. So I totally agree with you, uh, Ben, in terms of looking at the folklore, because that's been shaped into our psyche and almost uh, manifested into a reality. So, you know, as we understand it, um, when people pass over to what we call the other side, there is a a certain area called the astral planes or the summerlands where uh, allegedly, and we've got to look into this, that most of anything that's uh, thought can become a creation, a reality within itself. So I, I do believe that on a structured mental level, conscious level, certain ideas and areas need to be uh, looked at. And I think that perhaps that you, you also may have your answers there, Ben. It seems very fascinating, and I'm on the same page as you there, completely. So yes, absolutely. We can't, we're limited. And I think that the system that we serve that's lied to us, has categorically lied to us, mm. doesn't know, if it does know more than we know through a collection of data from other researchers secretly, if it knows more than we know, it's got a problem on its hand because it's programmed the masses in a very basic model of reality. And now we have this phenomenon that seems to be, and it is increasing, I have to state that for a fact, it's increasing. Mm. And the system doesn't know how to tell the people, oh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a problem. UFOs are real and so are cryptids and so is elements of the paranormal, but we're not quite sure how to explain to you how it can just come in and go out. That might frighten a lot of people. Um, so I think and feel also to tell individuals that perhaps they're here already walking among, among us is another area that might frighten a lot of people. Um, you know, I do have a sense of humour. Let me try and find the zip and pull the mask up. I'm just joking, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> I have a, you've got to break the ice a little bit here, you know. <laughs> you know before you, you, you start talking about philosophy, you always got you to gotta, you gotta keep it a little light. Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's wonderful that, you know, yourselves, Ben and Paul, as brilliant researchers, as well as many others around the world, you know, we're all trying to find the holy grail of what this all means. But I think that when we get to that point, if it is revealed to us in this life, I think we're going to be really stunned to find that it, it is not just how we perceive it or how the phenomena perce- uh, presents itself through to us. I think that we're going to find that we're going to be entering into multidimensional levels of reality that are a part creation of us and part creation of something else. Who knows? Mm. Well, and then let's uh, go to a uh, question from uh, our Colombian connection, Mm. Peter Shelley in Bogota. Yes, I'm glad glad we finally found an alliteration that works best. So Peter (laughs) writes to us, uh, Have you looked into another UFO case, uh, the 1974 uh, Avalid abduction? A couple driving home from Avalie with their uh, three children ran into a green fog, missing time, and aliens supposedly involved? Um, yes, that is the case. I haven't actually researched that completely, but I do know of the case. And this is something that you'll find with a lot of UFO cases, the levels of high strangeness that come with it. Um, certainly mist or fog or missing time is one element. And I, I've just been in putting touch with another amazing ufologist, um, Steve Aspin, who's written a book called Out of Time, which deals with the, the abduction phenomena. And one of the things, the fascinating parts to this, is the lack of not recalling what 
occurred. Now, when I had an experience that they call an alien abduction, I don't quite know what it was, although it was put into that category of what we would call an abduction in 1989, I wanted to find out more about the reality of this phenomenon, not just taking it as his and accepting and saying to myself I was kidnapped by aliens. I wanted to find out what the phenomenon was about and where it came from. Now, the interesting facet to this, when people are, as they call, taken... Um, I think perhaps it's a possibility that they are removed from our time and the centralized processing of consciousness on this, this level that we call reality is removed temporarily and when they're replaced back to where they've been taken, there could be some gap within the mind of, of why they're not able to recall the events so clearly and I think that also the abductees as they call them, um, their abductors with the abductees, the abductors make certain that these memories are buried so deep that there's no recall so i think it's fascinating that's one case i do know about but have not and i'm very honest and black and white that's that's me all over i haven't looked into that completely but it's just one case of many many hundreds maybe thousands of cases around the world well that, that's fascinating uh, your own abduction experience because in the hmm. book you mentioned the discovery of a chip in your shoulder uh, in my right ear Oh, your ear. I'm sorry, I thought it said shoulder. But um, can you talk a bit about that? Was that an implant, do you think? Well, Brenda had hers, I think. You're probably saying Brenda had her chip in the shoulder. Ah, I remember okay. telling me that. Yes, she had that. Mine was in the right ear. So I had a lot of problems with my right ear many years after the initial event in 1989. And I had profuse nosebleeds to the right nostril that was very embarrassing. They were going to cauterize my nose, but they did not get round to doing that because they stopped. But the right ear, when I'd gone to the doctors on no less than three occasions, on the third occasion, they didn't know who I was. I mean, I'm Joe Bloggs to many people anyway. When I went to the doctors, the uh, doctor brought out uh, the device and had a look and had a good look and then another look. And then she went to go and get another doctor and brought her in. And she looked in my ear and she said some very strange things. She said, it looks like it's still healing and it has a crystalline structure within it. Now, there were some other things said, but as you know, I'm black and white. I won't uh, add or subtract anything here. She put the device down and went back, and the other uh, lady looked at me behind her desk, and she said, have you been abducted by aliens? Well, I left the doctor's surgery far worse than when I'd gone in, when I got to my car, but I will tell you what was strange is that they didn't send me to an ear specialist or, you know, in the, the central Bedford Hospital here. No. So, and that was all due to the fact that I felt the device, whatever it was, retract, literally physically move back in my ear on one of my birthdays when I was resting. Um, and that prompted me to go and have it looked at again. But you'll find that, you know, with regard to this subject matter, you know, people say, I want evidence, I want proof. But whatever proof you bring to the table, this phenomena appears to kind of like, it's almost like the X-Files, right? I mean, when Mulder and Scully was on a case and you saw the wonderful things going on, and at the end, they were left with hardly anything. And I think the phenomena does that because it's uh, not within our reality. The object, I think, or feel is still in there, and for personal reasons that I can't mention here because of something that happened to the world um, roughly about three years ago, um, I will say for everyone that I have been injected three times, never again, there was another incident that occurred that's in my new book um, because I was uh, brave enough to explain what happened. And there may have been another intervention, um, whether or not that had anything to do with the so-called stuff that was administered into the body. Um, and 
they, whatever, or whoever, whatever they were, came in and did what they had to do, I don't know. But that's another area that's very sensitive, and I've spoken to other researchers about that because it hasn't been tackled because, for one, we're not allowed to mention it, um, strangely, um, certain words, key words we're not allowed to use with regards to the so-called um, thing that happened three years ago and where certain people had some kind of uh, help towards that. Well, one wants that. to avoid being burned at the stake. I was just going to say, why don't we take a moment, Philip, if you could tell people about your books, where they can get them and the website and what you're working on now. Um, yeah, well, I, I had, I've had a number of books published by other publishers. Uh, they, most of them are out of print now through contract. Um, but one of them is called You, the Public Deceived, the Grand Jury for Deception. That's available for, for, from Philip Mantle's Flying Disc Press. Um, and I've also um, got another one called, um, uh, God, there's so many I've forgotten now. Guardians of the Dead, which, uh, which deals with the um, psychic component. And then the new one, which is due out, obviously Sky Crash throughout time that Philip, that we've been speaking a little bit about. But then a new one that's due out in 2024 called Terrestrial Trespassers, which deals with the greys, the abductions and areas of high strangeness. And I think um, for me and for many other researchers out there, um, and, uh, you know, it's very difficult because you want to tell the truth, which I do in the works. But unfortunately, on many social platform sites, you are gagged. Um, you know, and there is this fear of not being able to say what you need to say. For instance, I will explain, oh, and our website, www.thekinsellatwins.com. Just put that in there. Look at the art my brother's done and everything. But there was one program I was watching that was talking about cattle, and I'm not going to finish the sentence of what that word is at the end of it, yes. but being informed that we cannot use that word with regards to the phenomena at hand. Hmm. And so I think and feel that it's it's really very annoying, and not only that, but also being infiltrated with a lot of other people's personal opinions. I've always been open to any form of uh, research or theoretical aspects surrounding the phenomena of not just ufology or cryptozoology, but the paranormal. Um, but unfortunately, you find yourself kind of like put in a corner with regards to, you know, trying to evolve and progress. But I think that the phenomena is linked within each of us on a very personal level of psychic integration. I think that you are the participant, personal participant, within your evolving journey. I don't think it's, uh, we're all trying to plug against the same box and make it fit and give it a name. I think that there's some kind of uh, evolution, um, not just on a physical or biological material level there. Well, that's a really interesting point, um, because we, we do tend to put ourselves in little boxes, don't we? It's yeah. uh, especially intellectually. And it's and it, I always found it kind of interesting, you know, having grown up, and being indoctrinated by my father here into the into the field, so to speak, that I found everybody said the same stuff, and it was all sort of informed. Um, not so much as, as not so much anymore. Things have, have progressed slightly, but a lot of it was based on 19th century spiritualism, and 
and in and or you know the complete opposite side of the coin where it was just hardcore reductionist materialism and then never yes. never the twain shall meet and so it, at at this this point I, I figured there has to be you know a, a middle ground somewhere <laughs> where that where they're, where they're because it's it's not all one or the other it's either completely intuitive or the the opposite and then you know you have problems with both ways of thinking because then it just one negate both negate completely different portions of reality that we experience daily. You know, yes, ben, uh, that's absolutely. why I'm, this, I'm not a huge fan of Plato. But anyway, uh, <laughs> I, I digress. Um, so there's there's a really interesting um, philosopher by the name of Thomas Nagel who who puts put forth this this essay uh, called "What Is It Like to Be a Bat." And I referenced this on many, many shows, and I highly recommend everybody reads it because it is a very, very, very important because it tackles the um, subject-object question in a very interesting way. And it, and it explores, you know, what is it like to be a bat? Do we know what it's like to be a bat? Can we know? And the ultimate answer is, well, no. All we know is how to be a human consciousness in a bat body. And I found that this was very important because... When doing shows on you know disclosure, right, or mm-hmm. or or something in that realm, you know the, the the oh well you know the the extraterrestrials have intentions of helping us, saving us, or they're here to destroy us, or or etc. And I always put I put this forth. I'm like, well, how do we know? You know, I I don't even know what it's like to be my father here. Let alone <laughs> I I barely know myself enough. How do I know what an extraterrestrial? has to say or do if they have the same moral structure as we do you know it's it's hard to tell if somebody you know across the road has the same moral structure you do let alone a completely different species and i i think one of the major problems that we we suffer in this field is you know we we close ourselves off from different different disciplines and or you know yes. we, we need a more liberal approach in in yes. in this in this regard you know what I mean? Yes, I agree with you there most definitely. And I think and feel that, you know, our understanding of this reality is muddied still. But we have come a long way in the sense that we've re- we're starting to ask more questions. We're not so frightened now as a society to talk about UFOs. Indeed, I'm not just talking about this Pentagon business and the release of those flimsy documents. And then, of course, the really very strange admittance on national television news here that two UFOs have been shot down in another one, um, you know, that were balloons. And while they use the uh, the uh, acronym UFO on, that, on national television, when here in England, and I'm sure in your country, they never would have ever ushered those words, whether or not there was some kind of psychological um, meaning behind all of this, which is I don't think is very good myself personally. So, But I do agree with you. I think that our understanding is limited on a human level because we only see ourselves as human and nothing more because the way we've been programmed is that, well, it's just the human race which is the most intelligent being in the universe and let's not look too deep into the universe and what that is all about because that would, you know, bend your mind completely. But I think now we're beginning to open up to the fact that maybe the human is not the only intelligent life form around and that perhaps we are now open to these speculative conclusions that interdimensional hypotheses, um, you know, are a reality. 
um, you know, because we're still kind of coming out of that medieval type of thinking. And, and you can't blame a lot of people around within the world because they have been programmed by a centralized system that's told them what is right and what is wrong. And, you know, which isn't a bad thing. But in terms of this subject matter with regards to ufology and cryptozoology and paranormal, you know, it's now out of the bag. I think more and people are more inclined to accept the hypothesis that there is some reality and truth behind it. So, but we've still got a system, a damn system, that is so obstinate and not wanting to release information to the public to say, yes, folks, they're real, you know, and let's work together. I'll tell you something very quickly here. I belong to New Force National UFO Reporting Service. It was created by my good friend, Nigel Ross. We wrote to Parliament, to a very influential member there. We said, look, let's have a meeting with your elite. Let's sit around the table and talk about this, about the UFO subject. Let's discuss this openly. Let's put all our truths, everything on the table and work together. And you guessed it, I got silence back. Um, so, and this is a, this is like your senators and your government, governments as well. These are the people that are supposed to be serving us, not the other way around. And this is the problem, I think. Mm. I'm going to take a quick half step back. Well, a step and a half back. There, there's, you, you mentioned something about, um, sort of the, the limiting of human understanding. And yes. I'd, I'd argue that the, the sort of, our ancestors knew more about reality than we did, even even in medieval times. You know, whether it was colored by by religious you know elements or not. Oh you know, yes, you yes, know. of course. But yeah, yes, the, the idea was that reality was was mythical, even, even mm. pretty much up until the Renaissance, essentially with the dawn of humanism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But the way that we experienced the world, as as dark and grim as it was, it was it was much more integrated. And the way that that spirituality, even 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 based in you know more traditional senses, it was it was a part of the world around them. You know, you had your your mm-hmm. werewolves, fairies, etc. That still permeated the society, and it was still oh, yes. around. And people very very much engaged with it. But then at mm-hmm. some point, we really limited ourselves. And we, That's right. And and it's and as, as time has gone on, you know, we're we're coming to the point where postmodernism isn't really serving us anymore. Yeah, you know, there's right. there's sort of two conclusions you can kind of get with postmodernism. You either you, know, you throw everything out until there's really nothing left, and then you go to, down the road of nihilism, or <laughs> you you turn around and you look at what you threw out and say, okay, well, what is useful here? Would you agree? Mm. Yes, absolutely. Oh, and I mean that when I say that, you know, I'm talking in reference to the churches and a lot of the disruption and fear and control that was uh, implemented and our history buried and hidden. I absolutely agree with you there, Ben, totally, because before it may have been, and we think we leave another world entirely, and it's all to do with our sense of perception, our sense of reality, I think, and Phil, this is where we, the interdimensional hypothesis is certainly very interesting in terms of, of what we've been programmed to accept as reality. But a lot of people, I think, now are beginning to become open-minded with regards to the phenomena. And uh, a lot more people are talking, as I said before, which is wonderful. Um, Researchers don't always agree with one another, but we have to be gentlemanly about it. Um, You know, even though I may not agree with one thing, I'll certainly be open to it. Mm. Um, But certainly, I think it's an individual journey. And I think it shapes us as who we are and what we are as human stroke spiritual beings. So I really believe that ultimately, you know, because we've been forced to look at it in a tiny little box. 
and it's not got us anywhere. There are certain parallels that links one to the other. And this is, this is key because when UFOs are seen, then this promotes levels of high strangeness that bring in Sasquatch or dogman or some other weird manifesting being you know these these things uh, seem to be part and parcel of the phenomena itself as though there's some kind of uh, instability with regards to the dimensional shifts that are opening we don't know um, but certainly an area that we are still looking into most definitely mm. well philip i can certainly see a number of shows that we could uh, <laughs> uh you know attract uh, you for i hope uh, we are just about out of time unfortunately can you give us your web, website one more time, please? Yes, yes. The website is www.thekinsellatwins.com. Kinsella, K-I-N for November, S-E-L-L-A. And that's thekinsellatwins.com. Outstanding. All right, very good. Well, Ben, take away our announcements if you would. Sure thing. So you can look for us at the Exeter UFO Festival in September. That's Memorial Day weekend. And for my dad, you can check him out at the Arizona Dowsers Conference in October. Uh, visit our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find nearly 1,200 hours of our regular shows and special broadcasts since 2008 from CBS Radio, Achieve Radio, and here on WON AM and FM. And there is a special link to the Rendlesham, uh, Return to Rendlesham radio series we did in 2010 and 2011 with all the major... Uh, Theological figures who were with us mm. from that case, and we—that's uh, all available uh, free. Uh, you can also hear many of these broadcasts on the major podcast platforms, including iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and YouTube. And you can download our show app. That's free at BehindTheParanormal.com. You can browse our books as well, along with those of our great guest co-hosts uh, at our show website, BehindTheParanormal.com, where you can find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, and. How to book us? Uh, our website has a charity page uh, with links to several good causes we have adopted and whose organizers we know personally uh, and can vouch for. This includes the uh, Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts, USACares.org, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, the Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, and most recently, a GoFundMe page for the folks in East uh, Palestine, Ohio, site of the recent train and chemical fire. What do we have next week, Ben? Well, next week, uh, an apt show, uh, which is on, uh, that's uh, May 21st. Jeez, we're plowing through May, aren't we? Um, Dr. Simeon Hine will be back to continue our conversation about crossover phenomena. And I have to warn you fellows that uh, Steve Bassett is scheduled, you know, the, the sort of the... Uh, leader of this the disclosure movement uh on uh, in june so be ready oh i mean hey you know i have no problem with steve i like steve a lot it's yeah <laughs> i just have i i'm just very very um suspicious of yes. it is all well anyway we'll leave you today with a thought from that old sweetheart albert einstein the most beautiful experience we can have is the mysterious it is the fundamental emotion that stands at the cradle of true art and true science. I'm Paul Eno. And I'm Ben Eno. And thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we shall see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now. 
for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno.